It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for letting me be a part of your day. I do appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And remember, subscribe to the podcast. It's totally free. Just go to the show.com Click on the subscribe button there uh, or uh, any of your favorite podcasting platforms. The show is made possible by patrons like Jenny and Sean, Matt, Susan, Mike, Linda Grace, Lisbeth, J.F., Leslie, Lisa, Jolene, thank you very much. I could not do the program without you guys, like, for real. Uh, we're coming up on actually our one-year anniversary for the uh, the launch of the show. And uh, people like those that I just gave a shout-out to uh, made the show possible, continue to make the show possible, and uh, I am eternally grateful for your support. So thank you for all of that. Uh, and by the way, you do get something for it. Not just, yes, the knowledge that you are keeping this show going, but also you get exclusive content, uh, like there are Thursday night live streams. So you get exclusive content and you get the the stickers, which really is why I think people do it. They want the stickers. Anyway, uh, go to thepetecalendarshow.com. Show is also made possible by the good folks at General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. Uh, This is where you need to go for all of your equipment rental needs. Uh, They're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road, so super easy and convenient to get to. Uh, I've been to their store, and it's laid out really intuitively. So like you walk through, you're going to find everything that you need. And if you don't, if you need some tips or some pointers, uh, you need some help, you're going to find tons of people there that can help you. The the president of the company usually is going to be right there helping you. Uh, And they're going to show you how to use the equipment. So when you take it back to the job site or your house to do the job, you're going to get it done correctly and hopefully not break their tool. Like that's why they teach you how to use it. Uh, So they're going to show you how to use the tool. Also, springtime is coming up, so if you are interested or in the market for uh, buying some tools, this is where you need to go first. We're talking everything from chainsaws and trimmers to hedge clippers, uh, lawn mowers, both you know for residential and commercial operations. Uh, they've got generators and tillers pressure washers, uh, and they service everything that they sell because they are your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service providers. So uh, they know all of this equipment. They know what it can do, what it can't do, what it's made for. And uh, then like when you get the equipment from them, you ever have any issues with it, you bring it back to them and they know the equipment. So head on over to General Equipment Rental. Go to their website, check out what they have, generalrents.com. That's generalrents.com. And think outside your toolbox. So Governor Roy Cooper called another press briefing day after he had his first one of the week. This was really odd, okay? This was really odd, and I suspected that there was some big change coming to, well, I'll tell you exactly what I predicted, because somebody asked me on the Twitter machine, they said, why is Co- why is Cooper calling another briefing the day after he just did one? Okay, so this was, so he did his first briefing of the week on a Tuesday, and every now and again, like they'll have a second briefing like on a Thursday or Friday, but usually, uh, you know, Cooper is there, but not always. So it, they usually get one at the beginning of the week, one at the end of the week, and uh, for him to call a briefing the day after, like early in the morning, they were like, hey, we've got another briefing today. Something was up. And this is what I predicted. I said, 
he creates a new subgroup to promise teachers earlier vaccines. But he says schools need to reopen in the meantime. The teachers union will agree to this, but they get to keep hammering the Republicans in the General Assembly for more money and pay raises. That was my prediction. So there are essentially five components to this prediction. And look, it's not often that I get these right, (laughs) but this one was so obvious. Even I could get this. This is how blatant it was. Okay, he creates a subgroup for the for teachers in this vaccine group. Um, So the teachers will get bumped uh, to the head of the line in their group. Okay, that was number two. So he's going to create a subgroup. It's going to be a promise to the teachers to get earlier access to the vaccines. He's also going to reiterate that schools need to reopen. In the meantime, the teachers union will agree to this and they get to keep hammering the Republicans uh, for more money and pay raises. Okay, so how many of these came to be? All of them. (laughs) All of them came true. They all came true. So here is what Cooper announced Beginning on February the 24th, the state will expand the eligibility to Group 3 essential workers, starting with educators and school personnel, and then expanding to additional Group 3 frontline workers on March the 10th. This gradual approach will allow the state to balance the number of people in Group 3 with the limited supply ensuring that North Carolina can continue using its entire vaccine allocation each week. So, what will happen on February 24th, educators will be the first members of Group 3 to be eligible to receive this vaccine as frontline essential workers. This will include teachers, principals, child care providers, bus drivers, custodial staff, cafeteria workers, and other education workers in our pre-K through 12 schools and childcare centers. The state anticipates that this will include about 240,000 people. Now this is important. Essential workers are just that, essential. Mm. They have worked throughout this pandemic. Mm. And we know that educators can continue to work safely even before the vaccine being administered, as long as schools follow state health guidance. Schools can get students back in the classroom safely right now. And that's what I want them to do. All right. So teachers are going to get bumped to the head of the line. So you've got different groups here that like the first group was 65 and older. Uh, Second group is healthcare workers. Uh, And then there's group three, which are frontline essential workers. And there are actually eight different categories inside group three. And the teachers were one of those categories one of yeah one of the eight categories they're now getting bumped to the head they're getting to well i don't i guess we can't call it line cutting right this isn't line cutting i'm not clear because reporters have been very very concerned about the line cutting in various counties and some people who was asked at the press briefing um well, we got people from virginia coming across the border how are we going to stop people from line cutting but teachers they get bumped to the head of the line not line cutting because they're allowed to be there, I guess. That's that's the new <laughs> rule from the Cooper administration. He is explaining that the reprioritization of teachers to go to the head of the Group 3 essential workers, that this is all about logistics. Starting with a smaller number of Group 3 frontline essential workers helps providers streamline vaccine distribution effectively and efficiently. 
providers will be able to start distributing the vaccine methodically for these essential workers while continuing vaccinations for those 65 and older and healthcare workers who are still eligible. So you've got these two groups, healthcare workers and 65 and older. They're still going to be getting their vaccines. And then in two weeks from now, teachers are going to get bumped to the head of the line. They'll now be eligible, not just teachers, but uh, other school personnel, K through 12 support uh, personnel. So not higher education professors and the like, uh, not colleges, universities, K-12 education, teachers and support staff, they're getting bumped to the head of the line in another two weeks. And then two weeks after that, then you'll get all of the other uh, group three essential frontline workers. Then they become eligible. Okay. So why did the teachers get bumped to the head of the line? He never says. All he says is that there's some, you know, logistical reason we want to be able to kind of smooth this out from as we transition from one group to the next group. And so we're going to bring the teachers in. There's like a quarter million of them. And so we're going to bring them in next. And it's all going to be smooth and work out any kind of problems and all of that. Instead of having all of these people from group three crash the system, he says at one point. Okay, So if the idea here is uh, just a logistical one and you want numbers uh, small enough so you can kind of ease into the next group, I went and actually looked at some of the other categories. We'll get to that in a minute. First, you need to get over to Mattress Man. You do. If you need a new mattress, you need to get to Mattress Man. Why? The President's Day sale. It is underway. Get a free box spring with the purchase of a Biltmore mattress. Get a free adjustable base with the purchase of select mattresses, so head and feet adjustments, wireless remote, zero gravity settings. Also, take advantage of the triple zero deal. Zero money down, zero interest for 24 months, and zero payments for 90 days. Mattress Man can work with you, okay? So no matter what your credit is, don't let that stop you from getting a good night's sleep. It's too important to let past credit problems get in the way of better health, okay? So go on in. Ask Mattress Man to work with you. They will. They want to. They want to get you on a bed, okay? The President's Day sale going on now at Mattress Man. Uh, They've got five-star local delivery service. They've got a 120-day comfort guarantee, and they ship nationwide. The website is mattressmanstores.com. Go on into any of their four locations in Asheville, Arden, or Hendersonville, and tell them you heard it here on the show. Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com. Buy local and sleep better. So here are the categories that are the, quote, frontline essential workers. This is from the Department of Health and Human Services. Number one is uh, critical manufacturing, things like, uh, you know, making PPE, medical equipment, that sort of thing. I actually went over to the North Carolina Department of Commerce website, started plugging in some of these, uh, these industries and started pulling some of the employment data based on the most recent years, 2019, that I could find. So uh, 2019 data. So uh, pharmaceutical and medicine manufacturing is about 22,000 employees. So about 22,000. Now, do you think manufacturring medicine and, and, and uh, pharmacological products, do you think that's more important than teachers getting a vaccine? What do you think? Who, which group should get the vaccine first? Right, and I'm not like not even talking about the the numbers, right? Because honestly, I don't believe the number argument. Cooper's assertion here that it's because 
there are 240,000 teachers and we can, you know, bring them in and not have all the group three people just storming the gates all at once. I'm not buying that because if you're interested in keeping the number low, you could have picked all of these other different categories of workers that would keep the number low too. You could either cobble them together, a bunch of different professions and get to a quarter million, or you could have gone with a much lower number. Like you could have just said, okay, like for example, food processing workers, which is under the category of food and agriculture, total agriculture jobs somewhere in the neighborhood of about 54,000 in the state. And uh, if you add up all of the, um, yeah, if you add, that's total agriculture. Now there's like mining and forestry and everything else that's kind of uh, tough to break out. You've got food distribution and supply chain workers. You got you know migrant farm fishery workers. You've got meat packing workers and the like. So let's just double that. Take it to a hundred thousand. That's still less than the teachers. Right. And the school support staff. So I keep saying the teachers, but it's more than just teachers. So it's the K-12 uh, education employees, K-12 employees. So uh, it's still half of that. So if you're not even if you're not even done vaccinating the other two groups of, you know, 65 year olds and older and healthcare workers, if you're not even done vaccinating them, and you want to try to make sure it's not like a, an overwhelming of the system when you let the next group in, so you're trying to keep the numbers minimal, then why not go with a smaller group like, you know, people who are making sure we eat? I don't know. Like, if I have to rank things in a society, when you're building a society, and anybody who's played any kind of a video game along these lines where you build a society, build a civilization or something... The first thing you do is is food and shelter. If you don't have food and shelter, nothing else matters, right? The education element comes way later, okay? Now, I'm not saying it's not important. I'm just saying it's not the top priority. The top priority is food. <laughs> food, shelter, water, okay? Without those things, you could be very, very educated and you're still going to die, okay? So I don't know. Like, if I'm just ranking industries, I'm thinking that's a pretty important one, and it has smaller uh, uh, employment data than K-12 workers. Also, as I mentioned, the pharmacy and the medical uh, manufacturing. Those seem like pretty important things, too. We're trying to fight a pandemic. I think the people that are making the the drugs to help us stay alive, I think they might be really important, too. Um, there's the education category, then there's the essential goods category, which this is where you get the workers in stores that sell groceries and medicine. According to CNN, back in October, about 20% of grocery store workers had gotten COVID. So they're getting COVID at way higher rates than teachers were. Okay. Um, by the way, restaurant workers, they lump that into food and agriculture, and there's about half a million of them. Then there's the other categories, government and community services. Um, I thought I just pulled this one, the postal service and other shipping workers. That's about 20,000 workers. And they got court workers, elected officials, clergy, homeless shelter staff, um, healthcare, public, uh, healthcare and public health. This is another category, including public health workers, social workers. Then there's public safety. It's about 32,000 public agency workers, uh, law enforcement and the like. Uh, transportation, 
is the final category, including public transit, DMV, uh, workers supporting highway infrastructure. So there were there are these eight different categories. So why did the teachers category get put to the front of the line, especially knowing that they don't need vaccines to open the schools safely? Cooper keeps saying this, right? The governor and the CDC, they keep saying teachers do not need to be vaccinated in order for the schools to reopen safely. So why would teachers get bumped to the head of the line? Why would that occur? (laughs) Whatever could be the reason. Maybe if somebody in the media could ask the governor a question about this, we might we might get an answer. Well, this is a press briefing. And so the governor does take questions, although, I've, you know, if you're just listening to this for the very first time, uh, we all know uh, how the governor manages his press conferences, him and his comms team. They restrict access. So reporters that are deemed to be threatening that might ask a question that the governor doesn't want to answer or his comms team want to protect him from answering, those reporters never get through. They never get through. And by the way, the media, the North Carolina political media, they're totally fine with this scenario. They're totally fine with this mechanism uh, because they know the rules. Like they get in to ask their questions and they get to feel important that they got a question of the governor. And uh, then on the other hand, like those, oh, those, those, the unseemlies over there. Oh, yes, they're the bloggers. (laughs) they're all this uh, the north state journal and the carolina journal we they're icky we don't want them to uh to ask questions unfortunately it also screens out people like nick oxner from wbtv he's an investigative journalist and uh he has gored about everybody's ox in raleigh i think at this point (laughs) and so uh he doesn't get through either to ask questions that might be uncomfortable or embarrassing for the governor. This is the way they manage the uh, the press conferences. I, I think it's disgusting, and I'm even more disgusted by the media's response to it. They all seem totally fine with, uh, with this occurring. But anyway, we are now to the Q&A portion of the briefing. This is the reporter from the Winston-Salem Journal. When it comes to March 10th, do you have any... Um, list of priorities of which essential workers may start on March 10th, or is that a situation that you're going to open it to all essential workers at that point? All right. So the very first question out of the gate is not about why are teachers getting moved to the front of this subgroup or the the front of group three? Why does this subgroup get preferential treatment when you just said schools don't need to have all of the teachers vaccinated in order to open safely? So why are they getting preferential treatment? We don't get that question. We get a question about, well, what is the next subgroup that might be coming in a month from now? This is one of the most frustrating things about watching these press conferences is that all of these reporters, uh, all right, not all, but most of these reporters seem like to be completely transfixed on some point on the horizon. And I understand why it gets to Michael Crichton's observation about how so much of the media is uh, reporting is now just predictive in nature. And because it's basically a zero risk kind of game, because you can just make predictions. And if you're wrong, 
nobody remembers and nobody cares. Nobody holds you. It's like you're not going to get fired from making a bad prediction, right? And, and when you're a reporter, you're not making the prediction yourself, per se, but you're looking at like, this is what we can expect in the future. Everything is all forward looking rather than what actually happened. What happened? And like at the press conference, he's made this announcement. The, the governor has. He's made this announcement. Well, what just happened? Why did that happen? And instead of examining that issue and turning it over with the, the, the who, the what, the why, the where, the how, right? All Instead of turning it over and doing those journalistic things, we're getting questions about, well, what's going to happen in another month from now? And so here's his answer. One of the things that is important to note is that everybody deserves a vaccine. Okay. And when you have tremendous demand, millions of people needing a vaccine in North Carolina, but you're dealing with thousands of shots, then that is a very difficult uh, thing to do to prioritize. Okay, now hang on a second. All right, so he's saying we have millions of people, and that's true, 10 and a half million North Carolinians, and he, but we only have thousands of shots. It's like, well, we're getting over 100,000 shots a week delivered to the state and then administered, right? So it's not... It's not thousands. It's not like there's, you know, only 2,000 shots or 3,000 shots, right? We're, we've got tens of thousands of shots. So, and I understand that the supply is limited. God knows they say it enough during these press briefings. It's like the media does not understand. Everything is constrained by a, a limited supply. I understand that. I think most North Carolinians understand that. And the, the decisions you are making is under that rubric. I get it. So let's not focus on the limited supply. Let's focus on your decisions about who should go first and why. To me, that's the more important focus area, but I guess I'm alone in that. I think it's been important that we've gone into our long-term care facilities and their staff. I agree. I was advocating that a year ago <laughs> when they started talking about, well, you know, who, who do we need to protect? And we need to lock everything down and shut it all down. And I was saying, um, actually, you should probably be focusing on the long-term care facilities, right? That needs to be the primary focus back then. But, you know, I'm, I'm glad that this is the focus now. That we've gotten frontline health care workers and people 65 and up because over 80 percent of the people who have died have been 65 or older he sounds like he sounds like me from last summer right now that's been important but it's also been a lot easier for vaccine providers because age is a simple thing and whether you're a health care worker or a nursing home this essential worker category is much more complicated because it's a lot of people who are doing very important frontline jobs. Okay. And we're really grateful for that. So, you know, one of the reasons why we're beginning this with smaller groups at a time is they're going to have to figure out their methodology and their systems for being able to uh, set up things, of go whether it's going to schools or other places to get these vaccinations into people's arms. And I think that that is an issue that the healthcare team is going to look at as to whether they can open up all of the categories, whether they have to go to another subpart. I think that's something that they will be figuring uh, down the road. Now, look, this is completely legitimate. Absolutely. There are logistical uh, uh, challenges 
when they move from groups one and two to three. Right. When they're moving from the long term care, 65 and older people and healthcare professionals, and they're moving into these other categories of people, definitely it's presenting new challenges. I mean, look at the farm worker aspect. Right. How are you going to go and administer this at the farms or, you know, processing facilities where a lot of workers might not actually be interested in having you stick a needle in their arm (laughs) or talking to somebody who seems to be affiliated with the government. Right. So there are all sorts of challenges. And I get that. However, you're taking a quarter of a million people and you're bumping them to the head of the line and you're saying that there are logistical challenges that they need to get figured out uh, and there's a lot of people in different settings and the like, which to me seems almost like an argument for taking one of the smaller cohorts that I already went over, right? Why not go after like the pharmaceutical industry manufacturers? There's only a couple 10,000 of them or so. Like, why not move them to the front? And then you can start seeing what works in a workplace environment. And, you know, can you travel with the with the shots and do it sort of like a like a traveling vaccination service? Can Like, how do you do that? But they didn't. They went for the teachers. And by the way, I know the answer to this. The answer is politics. That's the answer. The reason why. K-12 workers got bumped to the front of the line is because the NCAE, the teachers union and the governor needed an off ramp. They needed an off ramp because they found themselves staring down each other and not knowing how to make it stop. Oh, my gosh, mommy and daddy are fighting. Make it stop. Like they they had to back away, but they could not lose face. So they both needed an exit strategy. And so they could stay friends and then retrain their sights on the real enemy, the Republicans, right? Like that's what needed to happen. And this is how it's going to happen. So sorry, grocery store workers, you're going to have to wait. Um, I know you guys have been working for the last year, putting your lives at risk. I understand that. And we appreciate it. But the union needed a win. Cooper needed a win, so you're going to have to just wait a little bit longer. I'm sure you understand. Um, I'm sure you understand also the value of quality products, which is why Old Grouch's military surplus, they deal in real U.S. military surplus. All right. This is the this is none of the cheap China stuff. OK, for example, the backpacks, if kids are going back to school, they're going to need a backpack. And you don't want to give them one that's going to disintegrate uh, within the first month, right? Get them a military-grade backpack from Old Grouch's Military Surplus. You're actually going to find it cheaper there than you are at the big box stores, too. Uh, He's got tons of stuff. For example, he's got the MREs, 14 meals instead of the usual 12. These are specially made for a government disaster relief agency. So it's basically a week's worth of food, um, two meals a day for one person perfect for emergencies or just for camping and hiking. Also, warm weather is coming, so it's time to start thinking about the gear you're going to need in a couple of weeks if you uh, start hiking or camping or fishing. He's got tons of stuff that you're going to need, either whether you're a beginner or you know experienced, whatever the case is, he can help you be prepared. Go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. Uh, the shop is open Monday through Saturday across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and 24-7 at oldgrouch.com.
Now, a couple of reporters did begin sniffing around sort of the perimeter on these questions about why the governor chose teachers, but nobody actually challenged him directly about why he's picking teachers as the preferred subgroup, especially given the fact that you don't need to vaccinate the teachers in order to have the schools open safely. So WRAL's reporter, Laura Leslie, she got pretty close here to this question. Here in Wake County, we only have vaccinated about 45% of the people 65 and up Okay. Um, at this point. And, you know, I keep hearing you say and Secretary Cohen say that teachers don't need to be vaccinated to reopen schools safely. So why make this move now? Why not wait until more of your 65 and up population has received the shot? All right. See, see, she's she's so close. She but she shifts it to a timeline question. She's exactly right. You've got less than half of the population in Wake County that's over the age of 65. Half of that population has not been uh, vaccinated, or only half has been vaccinated. The other half is not, more than half is not. And so why would you move the teachers ahead, but then she shifts it to a, to a timeline instead of a, a question of preference? Why choose teachers now is the question. So how does the governor answer? Well, this is one of the reasons why the the state is not making this move until February 24th. Ah, okay. See, so two weeks. We got two weeks. So we hope to have, what, the whole rest of that population vaccinated in two weeks before the teachers start moving into the the vaccine protocol? (laughs) I'm not buying that. That gives the state two more weeks to vaccinate those 65 and older and older as the supply is increasing. Uh, We do know that we want to get to our frontline essential workers as soon as we can. Mm -hmm. And uh, waiting two more weeks, though, to continue to build on that 65 and older and making sure we get more and more of them vaccinated is an important part of this. And uh, we want everybody to be vaccinated so everybody can be safer. But you're right. We, we believe schools can open safely right now as long as health protocols are, are followed. Uh, but all the other essential frontline workers are also doing their work now because it needs to be done. And this state is going to work hard to make sure everybody gets vaccinated at the end of the day. Right. So he doesn't answer the question, which was why make the move now? He doesn't say he doesn't answer that. And because of the way that they conduct the press conferences, nobody can follow up to press him on that. I mean, she does get a follow up, but she uses it about the rural mega sites or whatever, but she doesn't press him on this. And I I, like, I got to wonder, do you all not hear what he's doing to you when he does this? <laughs> I'm not sure because I hear it when he's not answering the question. And maybe, I don't know, you're embarrassed or something. You're it's you're, it's awkward and you don't want to say, you know, governor, you didn't answer my question. Here you go. Just how about this? Pretend he's a Republican. All right. Just pretend he's a Republican and how you would deal with him when he's not answering your question. Uh, you would say probably uh, with all due respect, governor, you didn't answer my question. Right. Why did you decide to do it now? Again, I point out he did this at a news conference that he called that occurred 24 hours after his prior news conference. So what changed in 24 hours from the last time you were in front of us to right now, 24 hours ago, you're now saying you've 
created a subgroup and you're going to vaccinate the teachers. Again, it's political. Uh, but I credit WRAL, Laura Leslie, for at least kind of looking down that path. <laughs> Maybe not necessarily walking all the way down, but she was aware the path existed, it seemed like. And she took a look down that path and then said, uh, let's shift to a timeline. Now, the Carolina Public Press reporter asked about mechanisms in place to prevent people from lying in order to line cut. Like, how are you going to tell if somebody is or is not a teacher? And the answer, it's an honor system. Yeah. So they're not. <laughs> so I guess you would have a you would have some way to know and to restrict access if you're doing these vaccinations at the schoolhouse, I guess. Like if you send your vaccine providers to the schools and then they can vaccinate all of the uh, the workers at the school, then that would kind of I think everybody would know that if you're there, then you're an employee. That would make sense. Although you can't do that before they fully reopen. Right. So, like, how would you know? Because if some teachers are doing remote instruction, <laughs> then how do you get them? Uh, so there's always going to be this ability for people to lie and to get the vaccine. And the reporters are very, very angry at stories like this. Media is running around doing all sorts of stories about line cutters. They are like righteously indignant about people wanting to get the vaccine and jumping ahead of the lines ahead of old people and sick people. And how dare you, you know, try to get preferential treatment Un unless the governor says you can get the preferential treatment because you're a teacher, then that's OK. <laughs> that's all right. You notice how the 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 moral questioning just just fades away. Right? It's just any kind of issue that just fades away when uh, the governor says it's for the teachers. Um, somebody else asked, uh, the AP reporter asked, will there be an ID requirement to prove employment status? And uh, no, uh, there will not be. So honor system again. And again, and th I do agree with um, the Cooper administration on this. The point here is to get the vaccine into as many arms as quickly as possible. That's the goal. So, I mean, even even the creation of all these different subgroups and stuff, right, that slows stuff down because right now there are people that want the vaccine, right? There are tons of people that want it. And then there are people that don't want it that are in these categories. Although now I saw some polling where it's like 70 percent say they'll get the vaccine in North Carolina, which is up. Um, that's basically all the Democrats that uh, were opposed to it when Trump was president. But now they're coming around. Um, the News and Observer. Dawn Vaughn, uh, the reporter for the News and Observer, she also kind of saw the pathway here and asked a bit of a challenging question. Cooper did not answer. I'll get to that in a second. First, let's get you into a new home. How about that? Let's do this. Let's get you into your dream home. And it starts by calling Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. The phone number is 333-4483. The website is mountainhomehunt.com. You give her a call, and then I tell people, start packing, because it happens that quickly. If you're getting your home sold with Rowena, it's like you make the phone call. You're like, yes, I'd like to sell my house. And she's like, okay, great. And then you hang up, and then the house is uh, on the market, and you've got offers, and then you got to move. Like, that's how fast it happens. Like, in, in seconds. Well, okay, that might be exaggeration. It's not 
It's not technically a few seconds. It's like half a day. Um, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com. She's got homes in all price points, and she has buyers lined up. Put her to work for you. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. So Dawn Vaughn from the News and Observer, she, like Laura Leslie, recognizes that there is something going on here about the timing and the preferential treatment. Take a listen to her question. Why you changed course on this now, uh, moving teachers to the beginning? Oh, so close. <laughs> so close. Again, with the timing. Why did you change now? See, and by focusing on the timing aspect of it, you give him an escape hatch. You give Cooper um, an escape route where he can talk about the timing rather than the what is what is in essence a qualitative argument right he is picking a winner over another group winners and losers this is what he's doing which really isn't surprising governor cooper does like picking winners and losers using govco to do it he does it with his economic incentives and such and so i guess it's really not surprising he's doing it with the subgroups and governor cooper has shown us throughout his you know decades long career in raleigh politics uh that he is willing to uh you know to sacrifice some interests of citizens in order to advance personal political agendas and so uh, i see this as just another example of that now i know i'm probably unique in north carolina in spotting this kind of a thing with governor cooper because the entire press corps they don't they've got such blinders for this guy like i don't understand where that comes from <laughs> but uh but they do uh but she's so close to ans- asking the right question. So close. Uh, can you explain why you changed course on this now, uh, moving teachers to the beginning of group three when, of course, child care workers have been in person this whole time yes. and another of these essential uh, frontline jobs? And then when that opens to them, will a 65-year-old still get the first available appointment or are they just in that same pool with everyone else in group three once that starts? This is a good question. The second part's a great question, too, because what happens when you open the gate and now the group three people or subgroup A, the three A people, when they start moving in, are they going to be competing with the over 65 folks, which, as you just heard Laura Leslie say in Wake County, they haven't even vaccinated half of that population yet. So you're letting in the teachers in two weeks. Are they now going to line cut? I'm sorry. Are they going to get preferential treatment? Are they going to get bumped to the head of the line? Because they're going to overwhelm you, make appointments and all that, because they're going to have to make appointments and that sort of thing. But are they now competing in that pool? So two questions for the governor. A lot of that depends on the provider all the way through. We're going to continue vaccinating people who are 65 and over. So it sounds like they're competing, but also This is why you don't ask two questions, because the governor now picks the one he wants to answer. (laughs) And he starts with that one. And this is this is the easy one to answer. I think providers know that they are a priority because they are at greater risk of death. As this vaccine process has gone along, uh, I think providers have figured out that when you have a methodology and a process that things can go more smoothly. And I think there is, has been concern about all of these essential frontline workers in a big group in group three, all of a sudden crashing into the system, that that would be problematic. So 
I think the vaccine team, everybody together, thought that it would be positive to take a subgroup of the frontline essential workers and begin that subgroup earlier mm-hmm. in order to make sure that the process of doing this was working because it's different from age. And also you're going to be dealing with employees at certain businesses, at schools, at child care centers. And to have this two weeks to to get that set up, I think will be positive. And then they will be able to move to other frontline essential workers. Okay, so again, not really answering the question, right? He's just saying, yeah, you know, we have a subgroup. We created a subgroup, and we think uh, we needed a subgroup. And so we created it. Next question. Next question, please. Follow-up, Don Vaughn, News and Observer. Hi, thanks for the follow-up. So is the the timing of this related to urging schools to – to open under plan A or B, uh, and then when the oh. educators and everyone that works in the school building are able to be vaccinated, are there going to be central county sites to make sure that that's uh. done um, easily logistically for all of them? Oh, so close. <laughs> so close. She was so close to the question. So close. But she, no, again, is she's she, she's sniffing around the perimeter. She knows there's something here. She realizes there's something. It's like if only we could just somehow or another convince reporters that Democrats do act politically. Sometimes they're motivated by politics. If re, if reporters could could just entertain that notion for a few moments <laughs> at some point, they they may be able to get to the heart of this question. So what she's asking, though, is essentially the same question that he didn't answer the first time is what changed? Is it because of the teachers union? Don't call it a union. The North Carolina Association of Educators. Right. That's what this is, by the way. That's exactly what this is. And the reporters know it. They're trying to get at the question (laughs) without having to answer or ask the question. And here's how I know that they know it, because I've read enough of the articles over the last 24 hours and they all quote teachers union representatives. Mm hmm. They always go to the union, the NCAE. Reporters are helping to build the NCAE in this state. Reporters are actively assisting in this because they go to the teachers union and they ask the local association of educators, what's your response to this thing? And then that person gets to speak on behalf of all teachers, even though the teachers union only represents about 5% of all teachers in this state. First, it's important to note that the research and the scientific and health evidence shows that you can safely have students in the classroom as long as the safety and health protocols are followed, even without vaccinations right now. So, all right. So here's a question for the governor that will never get asked. Is it unreasonable for the NCAE to demand they get first preference uh, or, or preferential treatment and first vaccinations over these other frontline workers, given what you just said? Is it unreasonable? Is the NCAE making an unreasonable demand? That's a question that you'll never hear the press corps ask the governor because it will force him to be at odds with the teachers union. And they know that those two groups, the governor and his staff and the Democratic Party, they are not at odds with the teachers union. They don't want to be at odds with the teachers union. The teachers union provides a valuable resource and they are valuable allies to Democrats. And the reporters know this. So they're not going to try to pit those two people 
uh, those the, the governor against the the union. Not going to do it. And it's uh, one of the reasons why Dr. Cohen and I and the health team have been encouraging local school systems to begin getting our students back into the classroom in a safe way. And since that announcement, we've seen a number of local school systems that have begun to set dates and the, put the processes in place to get the students back in the classroom following the health care protocols. Right. Which, by the way, the reason why the school districts started uh, announcing plans to reopen was because they got political cover from the governor to protect them from the NCAE, to protect them from the union. That's why that happened. So Cooper comes out, urges school districts to start reopening, and lo and behold, school boards around the state now say, hmm, you know what, maybe we can reopen safely. If the governor says we can, and he's urging us to do it. Now, Governor Cooper doesn't want to mandate that we do it, to offer an option. That, and that's the other thing, too. Nobody is telling the school districts you have to go back to 100% in-person instruction. They're saying you have to offer it. You just have to offer an option for parents and students. And this has gotten the, the pushback from the teachers union. This has been too much to ask. Uh, at the end of the day, we want everybody vaccinated mm -hmm. and we want all of the workers vaccinated. But these people who are in frontline essential jobs are doing just that, essential jobs. And they're out there right now. And all of them need to be taking safety precautions. And we're encouraging employers to, for them to take safety precautions, even not being vaccinated. But as soon as we can get everybody vaccinated, the better off that we will be. And that's why uh, we're continuing to fight for supply. Oh, my gosh. Uh, while we're trying to, while we have set up, I think, an efficient system to get this out as quickly, effectively, and equitably as we possibly can. Yeah. It's just, it's the same stuff over and over and over and over and over again. And because of the format that these reporters allow themselves to be herded into, the governor gets away with this. He keeps getting away with this. And you guys don't ask any questions of real substance. You're not getting, you're getting heat, but not light. Because he, she never did get an answer. She asked it twice. And it's an easy question, an easier question than I would have asked, right? She asked him, what changed? What changed? What makes you do this now? From 24 hours ago, you said you were working on some stuff. And then within 24 hours, look at that. Teachers, head of the line. What changed? Why choose this now? And he never answers. He just says, well, you know, we got some vaccines coming in and all of this. Why change now? when you don't need to vaccinate them to open schools safely. These two points are never, he never is a, he's never called to connect those two points. She tried, kind of, and I think she focused on the wrong thing and it gave him this way to, uh, uh, to squirm away from it. That's why you never ask multiple questions. Just, just ask the one question, you know, <laughs> just ask the one. So, my prediction at the time, by the way, as I mentioned that, you know, a couple of these reporters were sniffing around the perimeter of the issue, but nobody directly challenges him about why he's picking them as a subgroup. Um, the question I would have is what makes that population better than the other subgroups in the essential worker categories, right? Those eight categories that I read through, why are the K-12 workers 
preferential over the other seven groups or categories. Why? What was the decision to make them number one? That's the question. Because the answer that we all know is the teachers union applied enough pressure. Nobody in the media is asking why the teacher, the K-12 worker population gets the preferential treatment. It was obviously a political move. And as I said on Twitter yesterday while watching this, it was such an obvious move that even me, this lowly little podcaster radio guy, even I could see it coming. So again, my prediction was he creates a new subgroup, which he did, to promise teachers the earlier vaccine, which he did. But he says schools should reopen in the meantime, which he did. The NCAE agrees to this. That was the next part of my prediction. So did the NCAE agree to this? I will tell you up next. First, Growers Hemp. Growershemp.com. North Carolina farmers, uh, family farmers that said, you know what? We've been growing hemp. And uh, why don't we control the whole process from the seed all the way to the shelf? Because uh, truth be told, when the hemp industry sort of uh, got launched a couple of years ago in the state, there were a lot of these uh, outside actors that parachuted into the state and they made a bunch of promises to farmers and then they never fulfilled them. And they they took off and left a lot of farmers in a bad spot. And these local farmers said, you know what, we're going to do it better. So they started Growers Hemp and uh, they built this business. And now they want to help you on your wellness journey with CBD products, including not just the drops. I take the drops every night before I go to bed. So I sleep more deeply than I ever have before. But they have the balm. It's the balm. It is great for hips, for backs, for hands, for feet. And you and your friends can enter the discount code LOVE, L-O-V-E, for a Valentine's Day bogo discount a buy one get one free buy one item get one item free all this month at growershemp.com promo code love as with all cbd products here's the official disclaimer i gotta read it these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration and the efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by fda approved research these products are not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease and nothing i have said is meant as a substitute for or 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 alternative to information from your healthcare provider. So consult your healthcare professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Growershemp.com promo code love for a buy one, get one of the bomb. It's pretty great. From North Carolina farmers to your home, Growers Hemp, it's about the hemp and not the hype. So as I predicted, Cooper would make this announcement and the North Carolina Association of Educators, the union, don't call it a union, would agree. So did they? Within literally seven to eight minutes of Cooper's beginning of the press conference, the NCAE put out the following tweet, quote, thank you to Governor Cooper for prioritizing the vaccination of NC educators. And there was a graphic (laughs) attached to the tweet that has a picture of Cooper. It's got, um, a picture of the president of the NCAE, Tamika Walker-Kelly. It's got their logo. And it says, thank you, written on it. And then there's a little text box that says, we thank Governor Cooper for listening to the overwhelming message from educators, parents, and the community that educators require vaccination priority. They, they had a graphic ready to go. 
<laughs> they went out. So, of course, they were aware of what was coming. Yes, of course they were. They had a whole statement that they issued at the same time. Fully prepared press release. Quote, North Carolina public school educators are eager to get back into their classrooms as soon as it is safe to do so. And today's announcement from Governor Cooper is an important step forward in making that a possibility. So notice, they can't immediately say, yes, we're ready to go back. They can't say that right now. But they're saying this is an important first step. By giving all educators, including bus drivers, maintenance workers, nutrition workers, and those who work directly in the classroom, vaccination priority, we will be able to resume in-person instruction more quickly and safely. Okay, so again, a lot of wiggle room here. We thank Governor Cooper for listening to the overwhelming uh, message from educators, parents, and the community that educators require vaccination priority. That's So the overwhelming message from parents was that we need to vaccinate teachers immediately to get them back into the classroom. This also shows, they say, how unnecessary Senate Bill 37 really is, which would undermine the return to in-person instruction by restricting the decision-making of local school boards and shows a lack of understanding about the necessity of mainstreaming most exceptional children as required by federal law. When it comes to these local decisions, a one-size-fits-all approach fails almost every time. What is that? Well, that's the last part of my prediction, which was they get to keep hammering the GOP, <laughs> which is what Senate Bill 37 is about. That's the is actually bipartisan is to force school districts to offer in-person instruction. And so now they're using it as a weapon against this legislation, because honestly, right, the NCAE needed an off ramp in their standoff with Cooper. Cooper needs cover from the NCAE attacks, especially if that bill SB 37 passes. OK, because can Cooper actually veto that? Could he? Parents, I think, would start grabbing the pitchforks at that point. This is a perfect example of what I when I say Democrats uh arguments, the politicians' arguments, are always accepted as the premise, as the truthful premise. It is assumed that Cooper put teachers first for some reason other than politics, because the media never even questioned him about it, never asked him about it. He says he's doing it to gradually allow all of these people, you know, uh, uh, into the, uh, the pool rather than crashing the system. But is that true? Would a smaller cohort have been less of an impact? Again, nobody questions the premise. This, all this was, was an escape hatch, right? For both parties to walk away, save face, and now unite again in attacking Republicans the real enemy. That's what this that's what that announcement was about. That's a wrap for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. Remember subscribe to the podcast, the Pete Talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.